This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. I'm Jo Stanley, and for years I woke up at an ungodly hour to do breakfast radio. These days, though, my lack of sleep comes from being a mum. Like most parents, I'm just trying to get through the day without yelling at my kid and laugh crying in the middle of the shops. And if I can juggle my career and still get my daughter to eat broccoli every now and then, I'm awarding myself Mother of the Year. I mean, we're all different, but the parenting roller coaster is the same. Sharing our stories of the highs and the lows is so important because it's a lot easier to enjoy this crazy ride when we know we're all in this together. Welcome to Mum Plus One, thanks to Red Energy. Great value electricity and gas, that's Red Energy. I grew up in the 80s, so yes, that means we didn't have computers or the internet or smartphones or social media or the Kardashians, so it was a much simpler time. Kids now deal with so much more in their daily lives than I could have imagined back then, and we know that's reflected in their mental health. It seems like it's harder for kids to be happy these days. You know, when I was a teenager, the only mental health issue we were ever aware of in kids was anorexia, and even that was pretty rare. Now, as parents, we hear so much about children struggling with serious mental health issues. It's really scary. I think we're all worried about our kids and that we might miss a sign or not know how to help them, but we don't know what to do about it. You know, we're really unsure how to be more educated or how to help our kids when they need it. So in this episode, we're talking mental health in our kids, what to look out for and how to help our children if they start to struggle. To do that, I'm joined by Dr. Billy Garvey, paediatrician and researcher in kids' mental health and emotional and behavioural difficulties. I said it. I got it out, Billy. That was great. It was great. <laughs> it makes me sound really important. That's for it sure. does. It does, yeah. And I did my vocal warm-ups before we started. So, okay. Thanks, We're all worried as parents, but we don't really necessarily know how to arm ourselves with the education we need, right? So can you tell me first, how often are kids actually experiencing what you would describe as mental health issues? Yeah, sure. I, hopefully we can help with a little bit of the worrying we're experiencing them frequently. We know that in Australia a few years ago we did a poll of thousands of parents that was a good representation of all of our communities and parents said that 25 or a quarter of them said that every day I'm really stressed by my child's behaviour and we know that that's often a way that kids present who have mental health problems or, or difficulties. We also know that uh, about one in seven kids in Australia in the last 12 months will meet criteria for a mental illness. And I think that's really important to think about just in terms of how common it is, because we also know that most of them don't get professional support that they need. And we know how important strategies are to support families and the kids that are struggling with that. But we know that um, we, we need to do better. We've come a long way, but we just mm-hmm. need to keep doing better. It's a really common uh, thing for a lot of kids in our communities. And unfortunately, it's even more common in disadvantaged communities, families that speak English as a second language, have limited access to resources in remote communities. And there's been some great innovation that's happened, and I've been really fortunate to work in some of those projects. But I think we're continuing to get better at identifying how many kids there are and how we can help them. So one in seven kids does seem a lot. 
and it's terrifying when you think about those poor kids out there who are struggling. But are they issues that we would consider, like the sorts of things that we talk about as adults, are they depression and anxiety? And do they have terms the same? Do they experience mental health concerns in the same way adults do? Uh, well, no. So the, the terms are often similar and the, there is one kind of group that looks at this and thinks, you know, there's a diagnosis, is it depression, is it anxiety? And we certainly see those in, in children. They're, those two conditions, for example, are fairly common. They're, they're kind of, uh, we see them fairly frequently within those one in seven kids. Um, but I think we know that kids really present differently to adults in how they do. We've got to remember, like, you know, it's really hard as adults to talk about our own mental health mm. and to explain how we're feeling. And if you're a child, you know, you can be really bright and really articulate, but you're really limited in how much you can express yourself. And that's why we see different presentations with kids, especially younger kids that aren't able to say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling pretty low or I'm really anxious or nervous. They're more likely to show us in the way that they behave. And I think it's a really great opportunity to think about that. And how can I think about what might be happening that's causing that so that I can help help this child and I do that clinically families have taught me how to do that the amazing clinicians that I work with in allied health maternal child health nurses there's this really amazing teamwork that happens for a lot of families where the family's at the center the child's at the center and we're all trying to learn together about how we can best support those kids that might be presenting with problems so you see it in their behavior what how is it manifested? What sorts of behaviour do you see? What should I look out for if I'm worried about my child? Yeah, I think a, a really good thing to look out for is how your child's functioning. Um, instead of thinking like, does my child have depression? Does my child have anxiety? Just thinking, how's my child going? We, we know that what's really protective for kids is social engagement. So self-esteem, social relationships, those things are really positive predictors of you know, what your adult mental health's going to be like, what your income's going to be like, how well you go through school, how connected you are to family, how connected you are to the broader community. And I think it's really important to think about um, how is my child going in that context? Am I, do I have a good relationship with them? Do I get to have fun with them? Do they seem happy? Are they engaged socially? And that's going to look different for every different child. There'll be the really extroverted kids that are doing lots of things. There'll be some kids that are a bit more reserved, but making sure that they're really, um, you know, functioning okay. And the other thing is a big change. Like we know a lot of kids will present with a big change, so they might be a bit more withdrawn, might not be sleeping as well, eating as much, leaving their room, attending school. We see a lot of kids that have a variety of differences. One way we think about putting them is into internalising and externalising difficulties. And right. Yeah, the, the common thing is kind of the externalising kids who are aggressive or irritable or swearing or shouting or fighting. We're, we're pretty good at catching them and saying, you know, little Billy seems to be struggling, he's getting in a lot of conflict, he's constantly upset with me, bedtime's really difficult. But then we have a, another side of the coin, which is the kids who have internalising difficulties, and those kids are the ones that are a bit more vulnerable to being missed, and we see it a bit more in, in young girls... You know, they might be withdrawn, not engaging as much, staying in their room, not enjoying things they previously did as much. And those are the kids who are a bit vulnerable to missing because they're not as obvious that they're, they're struggling and just thinking about, yeah, how's, how's my child going, I think, is a better way than does my child have anxiety or depression. So a child who's not struggling is a child who's able to make friends. Yeah, so the friendships is a really important part. There's lots of reasons that kids struggle with, with friendships, but I think that, um, you know, we know how important those um, social uh, relationships are from a developmental perspective, from a protective element. So all of us know that ourselves as adults, you know, 
And we all understand we go in and out of mental health. This is why I can relate to this so much. You know, there'll be days I have where my mental health isn't great and days where it's really great. And I think thinking about all of us moving in and out of those things, and we know that things like making friends, having friends around is really protective. It's someone you can go and talk to. It's something you take your mind off, you have fun with, and also you feel good about yourself because you have people around you that like you, respect you, want to be you know, interacting with you. And I think that's really positive for a lot of kids. Mm. Okay. So they're kind of, that's kind of a binary picture of mental health in our kids. It's the extroversion or introversion, anxiety, depression. Are there other issues that you see? Yeah, definitely. And I think you're right. I think this, um, this idea of like, you know, you have one point on a checklist and all of a sudden you're worrying or you're sick or you meet criteria for depression, but if you've got one point less, you're fine. Mm. We're shifting away from that to more of what we kind of talk about as a continuum or a spectrum and moving away from those labels or binary thinking is, is really helpful. There's, there's a lot of kids. We know that about a quarter uh, of kids that enter school uh, ha- are at a developmental risk. So the obvious stuff is, you know, with their language and things like that. But their social and emotional development is a really common way that we think about these kids that's a bit more broad and open than do they have depression or anxiety? So difficulty relating perhaps or feeling like they don't fit into the schoolyard or struggling to learn? Kids who have learning difficulties are at much higher risk of mental illness uh-huh. um, and uh, we know that that's, that puts kids at risk and it's a, one of the really important parts of what, how we look at these kids. You know, Is there something else going on that might be causing this? There's obvious things like kids not getting enough sleep and that's most of us now. Then there are more complex things like what you're talking about, kids who have learning difficulties, um, kids who have had, you know, negative childhood experiences early in their life. And there's also just, you know, kids that are really sensitive to their environments and thinking about kids like that is really important, I think, because it helps take away, you know, the parental blame. It's something I'm doing. It's Mm. it's me. I'm looking at my friends. Their kids are great. Their kids are thriving. My child's struggling. What am I doing wrong? And I think it's crazy. What you've touched on there, I guess, is what I'm trying to get my head around, that every child has their personality. And really, once they start school, we've only had five, six years to learn that child's personality. We're still trying to understand what we've given birth to and all their beautiful, wondrous nuances. And starting school or even high school could bring out parts of them that have already been there for ages. We just didn't know. So how can we identify that they're in trouble or, you know, emotionally or mentally or they're just perhaps people who are a little bit prone to be a bit flat or, or a bit, you know, very active or a bit rude? I don't know. How, do, how can we tell? Yeah, I think it's a really great thing, isn't it? Because we're learning about all these kids and this is a privilege. I can't believe I get paid to do this. I get paid to go on this journey with families and get to meet all these great kids. You know, I've never seen thousands of kids and I've never met a bad kid. You know, they're, they're all these gorgeous kids that sometimes are struggling and have different differences in their personality, yeah. their temperament, their development. That stuff's really powerful. There's this amazing paediatrician in the States called Thomas Boyce who talks about kids either being orchids or dandelions. I don't know if you've heard about this <laughs> no. before. It's amazing. So he kind of says that, you know, 80, 85% of kids are dandelions. They just grow in cracks in the concrete, you know, a little bit of sun, a little bit of water, they're fine. Not much seems to knock them around. They just thrive and grow. And then there's these 15, you know, 20% of kids that are orchids and they're really sensitive and they need perfect weather, you know, perfect sun. You touch them and they'll struggle. And he says that, you know, this is understanding that those 15% of kids, which kind of matches what we see from kids who are babies to 
you know, preschool, primary school, high school, teenagers, that percentage that might struggle, they're just really sensitive to their environment. And, you know, you can be the perfect parent in the world and your child can still struggle. You know, understanding that. What I think is beautiful about that research is that when we follow those kids, supportive environments really lift them and they thrive. And I think that's really helpful for a lot of families I see in clinic, especially one of the clinics I do is an unsettled babies clinic and there's these amazing parents that are coming in saying, you know, my bub just won't sleep, won't stop crying, really worried something's wrong. Most of those kids, you know, there isn't essentially anything wrong. They're just sensitive kids. And I get the privilege of watching those kids as they develop and they, you know, become these gorgeous little handfuls often that really thrive because they're really sensitive to their environment. And that's really important for all of our development when we're coming up. We're sensitive to how's the person next to me going? How's my mum going? You know, how's my dad going? My little brother's driving me crazy, you know, and picking up those cues and things like that. Are really powerful, you know, um, influences on our development. But I think it makes those kids uh, a little bit more vulnerable to finding it a bit tough at times. Yeah. So what I'm hearing there is I think, and I said in my intro in the 80s, all we knew of mental health really for teenagers was anorexia. That was it, right? Yeah. Now we understand so much more about mental health in children, but I think we have had maybe it's changing, I hope, but a tendency to have no patience with the orchids and have just gone, suck it up. Why can't you be like your brother who's a dandelion? Or I'm not an orchid. Why are you an orchid? You know what I mean? Like we just aren't attuned to our kids' individual needs as much as we need to be. Yeah, I I think so. I think it's hard because I think a lot of families get, get stuck in a rut of, you know, this is just difficult dinner's mealtime's really hard every night and I've just got to get better at it you know it's me and I think thinking about you know the child being sensitive and trying different strategies and things like that is a way that we're emerging and where all of us are learning together a different approach at these kids and I think it's it's amazing to be a part of that and we've got to remember like we'll be looking back maybe at this podcast you know but what we're doing now 20 years time and going oh my god what were they thinking you I know what like, a disaster yeah, yeah, this yeah. podcast is <laughs> yeah well <laughs> you know I think it's great because you know the, the one thing Joe is that you're you're an expert because you are a parent you know and you've got an expertise in communicating with the community as well which is amazing because so many of us hold so much evidence and we write in academic journals this you know it's really important to read to your children and it's really important they don't look at screens and don't use social media and all this stuff i don't think it connects that well with the real world i think Mm. there's you know there's there's the life that all of us are actually living and i think it's really different you know thankfully Mm. because it's a lot more fun and it's just going to be really difficult sometimes but well, you're very kind, Billy. Um, <laughs> tell me, you say you've never met a bad kid, which I love hearing, because I reckon parents often, if they've had a child who's repeatedly difficult, they're hearing feedback from the school, maybe kids who are expelled or suspended a lot, they then decide that their kid is a bad kid. Yeah. That Look, breaks my heart, because yeah, you're telling me yeah, you've never hard. met a bad kid, and you're, I'm assuming by the time they see you, their behavioural issues are pretty bad. Yeah, some of them. I mean, everyone has a different... I shouldn't say bad. I should say extreme. No, no. Sorry. It's no, no. <laughs> Look, and, you know, every family has a different, you know, threshold that they reach, and some some families, you know, hold on to so much before they get to that point where they go and get help, and right. I think that... You know, that's every family. So some of the families that I see, definitely things are pretty extreme. I think um, I 100% believe I've never seen a bad child. It's probably a little bit of me um, 
you know, thinking about myself because I, I was a bit of a rat bag and got kicked out of school and, and those you things. Now. Well, well <laughs> yeah, but look, it was, you know, I think the power of what you're alluding to was that um, how do we shift the narrative around these kids? And I think all these parents love their kids, but I think they just get caught up in he just doesn't listen and he's always misbehaving. You know, sometimes we'll ask, you know, what's good about them? And they'll say, ah, oh, they're, they're good at not following instructions or not listening to the teacher and things like that. And teaching's really hard. Yes. You know, it's really hard. Parenting's really hard. And I think that understanding that these kids, you know, they're not sitting there thinking, ah, you know, I'll just make sure mum doesn't get any sleep tonight or, you know, know, doesn't feel good about how we're going as a family or anything like that. They're just... You know, they're, they're not that, you know, they're not that uh, advanced in their thinking. They're just struggling. And often the way of communicating that is I'll fight with my brother. I'll throw stuff around the house. I'll swear. Because, you know, that's a predictable reaction. I know what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, if I'm a little bit, if I'm struggling, I'm anxious, I'm feeling low, you know, the predictability is something that we see a lot of kids do where they just will... Um, will show us in a different way than saying, hey, mum, I'm feeling pretty anxious about school Mm. or, you know, this happened to me and I really can't stop thinking about it. So you talk about changing the narrative for that kid. How is that done? I think in a lot of different ways. So I think finding, you know, positive attributes, which all these kids have and reinforcing it. You know, a lot of kids' school is not going to be the perfect place for them where they'll feel good about getting 100% on all their tests. It might be the footy field, you know. It might be um, scouts, might be piano, you know, ballet, whatever it is, but trying to find something where that's going to help that child with their self-esteem. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we know that positive reinforcement and the things that we put effort to and seeing success in it is something that helps us feel really good about ourselves. You know, I go to footy training and I'm getting better at it. I've been doing singing lessons and my teacher's, you know, really proud of me. And I think that those things are really important. And I think in a way, you know, without getting too deep and meaningful, I think we kind of become the people that we hear that we are. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm certain of that. Yeah. And I think that's a really great opportunity to take the pressure off parents to be perfect and to spend, you know, a bit more time just celebrating how quirky and great their kids are. And it's a bit unfair because, you know, like, who am I? But these families have often waited a really long time to come and see me in clinic. And I really enjoy what I do. I get to think about, you know, is it depression, anxiety, ADHD, all those kind of label stuff. But then I get to think about how can I try and be a tiny bit of change in the story that's around this this kid? And it's amazing. I walk out of work and think, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. Because, you know, that's what families want. And they just yeah. want help in doing that. And they want, you know, someone to guide them a little bit. And there's, you know, the people that are doing this in the community, it's often not, most of these kids don't need to see a paediatrician. A lot of them don't need to see anyone. There's amazing things that are happening in the community at a local level from schools and community centres, maternal child health nurses. You know, there's amazing initiatives that are taking place. And I think... Um, yeah, a lot of it is we're all trying to build our communities. These kids will become, you know, the, the adults in our community. And we know all this stuff is really protective, not just for adult mental health, but how well all of us function is yes. the environment that we're in. You know, I was just thinking about, I often get asked about social media and those type of things. I just walk through the park and there's this teenage girl who's like doing flips with a phone, recording it with beautiful city skyline in the background. 
you know, she's going to go and post that, interact with her friends. It's going to, you know, further her bonds in her social group. Isn't that great that yes. social media is allowed her to do that? So I think this kind of, you know, we've got to start adapting and seeing those things. And, um, you know, that's a great example of her using that technology to build a positive narrative around her and, you know, something great and creative that she's doing. So what kind of advice do you give to the families and the parents that come and see you? Yeah, look, a lot of it is listening to them, you know, so understanding, you know, how, because, you know, I've said it a few times, but understanding those parents are the experts of their children and they, you know, really listening, I think, is, is one of the things that's really important as a first step. And and then I think, you know, going through that journey with them of reflecting on what they're doing, like what, what are the things you guys really struggle with? Because I can sit there and say, this would be my priority, but it might not be the parents' priority. And often they're things around, you know, I just wish the house was a little bit easier. You know, I wish that mealtimes were a bit more straightforward. I mm. wish they'd go to bed. I wish, you know, they weren't so upset all the time. And then making a plan together. The thing that seems to be really important in the evidence is actually reflecting on what we're doing. So looking back and saying, you know, we, we, we decided that we were going to try and make meals a little bit easier. This was the strategy that we picked. We said we'd do X, Y, and Z. And how's it going? Mm -hmm. And thinking about that, because I think a lot of families just get stuck in repetitive behaviours and they go, oh, this is just the way life is. And I think that, you know, the reflective practice is what it gets talked about in the literature is a really powerful way. And there's so many families and a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, that are already doing this. They're listening to you, a podcast. I, parents can do that. Parents can go, okay, well, we did something different today. How did that feel for you? Did you like doing that? You know, was that yeah. fun yeah. or did you hate me for it? Yeah, <laughs> How yeah, can exactly. we make it better? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great way of thinking about it. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's a cheesy thing, but a lot of it is taking, trying to take that worry away, supporting families to enjoy their children. You know, was it fun as you're talking about? You know, that cheesy analogy of like, you know, put your own mask on the aeroplane if the, you know, alarms come on first before your child. I think that a lot of the time I just spend time saying to parents, hey, like I need you to be going and doing other stuff and getting your own reserves up, sleeping okay, seeing your friends, getting support, all those things so that you could have more energy for the fun stuff and um, just thinking about how we're going. I, I also think that like setting achievable goals is really important for a lot mm-hmm. of these families. You know, they come in, they've waited a long time to see us and they're kind of like, all right, we've got 20 things and thinking about, well, we'll get to those 20 things, but like, what's the thing that's making you struggle the most? And let's forget about the other 19 at the moment and let's just work on that one thing. Let's do it together, you know, positive reinforcement, realistic goals, celebrating, you know, the, your child and really having fun with it. And it's, yeah, I think that's a common kind of approach that we seem to take. So you've got the withdrawn kid and then you've got the externalising kid. What's the strategy that I might use if I've got a child who is externalising, for instance, who's acting out at school? What, yeah. are, some, what are some tips, some actual practical things I can do? Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, so that's really good. Um, yeah, and that's a common child that we see in clinic. I, I think looking once again, you know, or everyone together, getting the school on board and saying, look, we're, we're really concerned that this is happening, this acting out behaviour trying to think about what's happening before it like is there you know a stress or, or a something. trigger of some trigger, kind yeah right. something happening trying to optimize everything else around the child what's the child's sleep like you know how are they you know how's the rest of their environment all of those things um, and then having a, probably the most important word is gentle approach so mm. a gentle approach that says 
you know, I always say little Billy, uh, but little Billy, you know, we, we want him to, to get in six months to a point where he's doing really well, thriving, and there's no problems. But maybe in the next fortnight, we just want there to be a little bit less. And, and what's that going to look like? And how do we support him? And I always talk about, you know, every opportunity, say we're talking about bedtime, mealtime, toileting, every opportunity, every time we have that situation, it's an opportunity for it to go well. And we, you know, there's some different strategies. Some kids, it's really just modeling that behavior. When it goes wrong, trying not to be too stressed and saying, hey, this, this didn't go as we wanted, but you know what? Tomorrow we're going to have another shot at it. Right. And it's okay that it didn't go how we wanted. Mm. And just, you know, as a team and thinking about it with everyone involved about just continuing to try and take the opportunity for things to get a little bit better um, and seeing what works, like we talked about, thinking back and going, cool, we were having a look at that for the last fortnight. How do we go? Mm. And celebrating when it did go right, even the tiniest thing that went right. There's this amazing educator in one of the primary schools locally, and she sees a lot of kids who have had really negative experiences. from trauma and things like that in in her school. And she talks about, you know, for some kids, it's celebrating you're so good at walking through doors and that little kid just feels great. And he's like, you know, he's walking a bit taller, feels really proud of himself. And then you get to the bit, you're so good at concentrating for 90 minutes in class and listening to the teacher. But that's, you know, that's a few steps away. Yeah. And sometimes the first step is just, you know, you're so good at walking through doors. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I've stolen that off (laughs) her. So what about, though, then the opposite of the spectrum, and I think sometimes really concerning for parents are the kids that are withdrawn and you try, you feel like you're doing everything you can to break in to whatever is happening for them and they just... It's just walls everywhere you go. How do you, how do you respond to that and care for that child? Yeah, I think from a you know a parent is the, a bit of a similar approach to me, and just trying to be accessible to that child. So, you know, not knocking on the door every twenty minutes and saying how you're feeling, do you want to talk about it, but just making sure that you know you're you're available, you're you know positive and safe relationship for that child. Um, and then once again, you know, gentle, achievable steps like. I see a lot of kids who have completely disengaged from school, social relationships, their family. And we're just trying to really gently come back with that. You know, there's a, there's a more complexity around things like safety and things like that. But a lot of our strategies, it's really important that they're just gentle. Like mm. we say, we'd really love them to be back at school full time, seeing their mates a couple of times a week, you know, kicking the soccer ball around with us in the backyard every night. But saying what's a small step that we can do that it's in the right direction for that stuff um, is really helpful, I think. And just being available, you know, let let the kids lead those conversations they, so they feel comfortable coming to you and saying, hey, this is how I've been feeling, this is what I've been thinking about, I'm really struggling. Because I think a lot of really well-intended parents kind of uh, spend a lot of time uh, leading those conversations and I think that it can put a lot of stress on parents and often, you know, it's... Often it's not very helpful either. So it's stressful and doesn't really help. So it's about somehow indicating to the child that you're open for the conversation, but you can't force it. Like they, you can't stand over them and say, right, you're going to talk to me about this now. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I think so. so. Like, especially like some of the teenagers fit that profile that we see in clinic and. You know, trying to just really reinforce all the positive things that are happening in that household and, you know, there's so much stuff. I, you know, I see so many families that say we're doing nothing right and I can very quickly find heaps of stuff that they're doing right and parents just need to hear how amazing that they're doing because I 
a lot of families have for a long time been feeling like they're not doing a great job and I think um, so you know that's really crazy it must be awful to feel like that and so it's a great opportunity to think actually you are doing a really great job and we're, we're just going to help maybe do things a little bit better and a bit easier. So if my child has mental health struggles, it doesn't mean I'm a bad parent. No, definitely not. I think that the, you know, going back to the dandelion and orchid is a helpful way of thinking about that. Some kids have had awful experiences growing up and they just thrive. And we think, gosh, you know, I'd, I'd fall apart if I have yeah. had some of those experiences. And then the other is these kids that have had great, supportive, childhood-loving parents, everything's perfect and they're still struggling. And I think that's, that talks more to just the... You know, the differences that we see in temperament, um, development, and, yeah, that, that, you know, we're all... And, you know, there's been amazing ground that's been made and um, even some of the, the, you know, the conditions that we think about like autism and neurodiversity and really thinking that we're, we're, there's a, things are a lot more complex than, than we've um, been approaching them for some time now and trying to, you know, look at the individual child as opposed to... This child has anxiety or, yeah. you know, is a different way of thinking about it and does my child have anxiety because I've done something wrong? You know, I picked them up too much when they were a baby or, you know, I never let them spend time on their own or, I, you know, there was that one time I lost them in the supermarket <laughs> and it's crazy. <laughs> one, time. one time. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. But people hold on to those experiences and worry, you know, there's a lot of guilt. So it's really mm. nice to take that away from people and say, hey, like, we see this, it's really difficult, this is really common and these are some of the strategies that have worked that previous families have helped me understand that they've gone through and let's see how that goes for us. Okay, so then to summarise, can you give me just some very clear alarm bells that I need to look out for that would make me go, my kid's struggling? Yeah, I think the biggest one is a big change. Big change. So I, Love that. That's yeah. a great thing to remember. Okay. Then I think that my kid is struggling. I need to do what to try and help them? Yeah, I, I think just thinking about it, you know, um, my, my child's struggling. You know, how long has this been going on for? What, what are the things that, you know, he, he or she could be doing a little bit more of that is not happening much at the moment. And for some kids that will be, you know, school, social relationships, kicking the footy, playing video games with mum or dad, you know, what that looks really different for every child, but trying to put those in place. But I think also it's really important to have a, a line in the sand that you say, this is actually too much for me. This is right. too much for me and my family and I need help. And there's so many services that exist to help these families. And I think, you know, a lot of the families that I see, I often wish I'd met them sooner mm. because they've waited and they've held this, you know, challenging environment and situation for so long um, because they thought it was, you know, something they were doing. It's just this is what it's like raising kids. You know, no one's going to be able to help anyway, you know, those type of attitudes. And I think we need to be more open, you know, as you spoke about at the start. We've come a long way with mental health, but I think we still have a long way to go to think about it's not about the person and putting blame. It's not, you know, something that the parent's done wrong. Or, There's no shame. Yeah, Just taking that away. for help. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right, there are lots of 
like schools often have great resources. There's great websites out there and local programs that I'm, you know, I know of because the school have shared it with me. But you know, even just googling, you'd be able to find some great resources. I think. Yeah, you've yeah. Got, got to be a little bit careful. I think with googling, but um, sorry, no, no, yeah, you're quite right. No, no, no but, <laughs> says the researcher. No, no, but it's um, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really important topic that you raise because I think the problem is that when you're feeling helpless and you're looking around, sometimes you know you will engage with kind of anything and one person saying I you know jumped up and down and you know in circles for every night and the child slept right you kind of go well I'm going to try that then because that yeah. worked for that person yeah but just thinking about you know like we the people who are you know working in the evidence space need to get better at how we bring this information to families because they're really looking for help one website that's great is the Raising Children's. I don't know if you know that yes. website. That's yeah. a really great website that um, has a great team around us. Um, and there's a number of, you know, the schools, as you mentioned, are really great at helping parents navigate that pathway. We're doing research with primary schools to see how we can support these, identify these kids earlier yeah. um, and support them so they don't need to go and see someone, you know, so they can stay in the school, get help to coming to the family um, yeah. because most of the kids won't need to come to a big, you know, tertiary hospital to yeah. get assistance. And um, I it, think, yeah. Even asking your GP, surely, would be a place to start. Yeah, definitely. Like the GPs, you know, GPs were the most common people that those one in seven children uh, were seeing. Uh -huh. um, unfortunately, it was only 35% of them were seeing a GP, but that was the most common clinician uh, or doctor that was seen by someone um, but they're a really great starting point. GPs are, are, are amazing, and I'm always impressed by a lot of the GPs that I work with, how good, good they are at supporting families. And then finally, I think one of the greatest things I've learned from this conversation, Billy, is that there is positive where often you can only see negative, both in your child and in your own parenting and in your own home. Yeah, definitely. And it's okay to have days where you just can't see that. Yeah. But they, you know, they should be, you know, they, sh they shouldn't be the majority of days. And, um, and yeah, just trying to find the stuff to celebrate, as you've talked about, and see those positives. So a lot of these kids have got really great people around them. And it's a, a lot of it is identifying that in these parents and saying, wow, this... This child's struggling. This must be really hard. You're doing an amazing job. Yeah. You know? And then that reinforces the parent because then they stand up taller and they go home and go, you know what? We're going to sort out bedtime or toileting or whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah. just, yeah, celebrate whatever you can. That's my rule in life. Celebrate whatever yeah, you can. It's great job. <laughs> yeah. Billy, thank you so much. That's this okay. has been very enlightening. No, it's great. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk. That was Dr Billy Garvey, paediatrician and researcher in kids' mental health. To reach out for help, there's a couple of links for some great resources in our show notes. Now, I'm still not quite sure if I'm raising an orchid or a dandelion, or maybe she's a hybrid. I, th I think some days she's a Venus flytrap, but the key is to keep watering her. And to keep an eye out for those changes, if they start getting really concerning and I'm overwhelmed, to ask for help. Always ask for help. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could share this podcast with a friend or someone you think would find it really useful. And we'd love to hear about your parenting experiences, the wins and the fails. Jump onto my Instagram at Real Joe Stanley and get in touch. Thanks to Red Energy for supporting this podcast. Red Energy has great value, electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131 806 today.
you enjoyed Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley, then check out the other podcasts in the Red Energy Lifestyle series. For all things home design, enjoy Home Style with Shana Blaze. Getting the balance of large open spaces is about creating zones within one space and making them feel intimate within that space. Great value electricity and gas. That's Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley, part of Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series. Available on your favourite podcast platform and the SEN app.